How's that for production value, huh? My Uncle Brent's here uh, this morning. He's visiting, so I'm going to point this out. Uh, he, you know, acts and produces and films documentaries. He's actually got one on Jackie Styles coming to Amazon Prime soon, so check that out if you're an Amazon Prime type. But production value, huh? I'm not great with lines. I, uh, I don't know if you could see by my eyes. Uh, I was using the teleprompter, so I apologize. It's old age. Um, I'm super, super excited about this series, guys, though. For the next seven weeks, like we said, we're going to look at uh, various important passages in John. And honestly, uh, I have a little bit of adult ADHD, and I'm not just saying that. It's a real thing. So uh, we literally could have spent probably six months in the book of John, uh, but I just can't handle being in one place that long. So we're going to look at seven weeks. Uh, we're looking at some very uh, important passages, some very uh, formulating passages for our faith. And today we're going to be looking at John 1 and the trustworthiness of Scripture. And so uh, John 1, 1 through 5 uh, is the first couple chunk of verses we're going to look at. But it says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, sorry, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, in verse 1, we see Christ referred to as the first time as the Word. When John refers to the Word, he is referring to Jesus. And it's such a peculiar and uniquely Johnian way to refer to Christ. We see nothing like this in the other four Gospels or really the rest of Scripture outside of maybe Jesus' own words. But not even he refers to himself in this way. John's word here, John's use of the word, is clever, and it carries a weight that can't, uh, I should say, shouldn't be overlooked. It can be overlooked, but it shouldn't. Why compare Christ to the Word? That becomes the question that we have to answer. Why not just say Jesus? Why not just say Christ? Why refer to him in this way? Coming from the Greek word logos, meaning word or message, we see Christ as the message, as the message. John would have taken his readers back to a time where they would have had a divine uh, delivery of God's own word to them. So for the believers that he had talked to, the Jewish believers that he was speaking to in this passage, and also to those who were non-Jewish believers, they would have been very familiar with this type of message, right? So he's referring to uh, Christ as this divinely inspired, almost prophecy-type message. And so they would have thought about that. But then he takes it a step further in a way that really changes the way that they see things. Because there's something different about this word, right? First, this word is eternal. This word is eternal, present since the beginning of time. This word also had a hand in creation. Nothing was made unless it was made through it. This word developed and grew in the presence of God. This word gives life. This word gives life. The most important asset that any of us possess, right? 
our ability to live, the breath in our lungs. This word breathes life. It's also a provider of light. And light's main purpose is to do what? To dispel darkness, right? It's why the flashlight and the lantern and the light bulb was invented. Because while in darkness, we cannot see. But the light reveals everything that darkness would hide. But not only does it provide these things, he took it even one more step further. It's not just that the word provides life and light. It's not just that the word dispels darkness. It's not just that the word is eternal. It's really the source. It's the source of this light. It's its own source of its gift. This light is powerful. And then John moves on to verses 6 through 8, and really all he does in verses 6 through 8 is tell us that John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah. I mean, that's really the purpose of those three verses. He goes through because there was this whole faction of people who thought that John the Baptist was the promised Messiah. If you read later in Scripture, you even see that Paul comes across a large group of believers who profess faith in John the Baptist, and he has to correct them to show them that it's actually Jesus that John the Baptist came to proclaim, not himself. So that's what we get in verses 6 through 8. And then in verse 9, he continues about this light that he speaks about. And he says, The true light that gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. See, verse 9 makes it clear that Christ's light shines on everyone. Christ's light shines on everyone. At some point in our lives, we all have that moment where we have to reckon whether or not to place our faith in this source of light. But it's through the light that our sin is revealed to us. And we're told that if we choose to receive him, it is through that light that darkness is stamped out of us. Darkness is stamped out of us. And upon making that decision, something further happens. We become adopted sons of our heavenly father or daughters, I should say, or daughters, children, both, right? Not something that naturally occurs, something that our sinful state actually would prevent, but when we accept this light, when we place our faith in the name of Jesus, in the Christ, in who he is, and what it is that he's done, he brings us into the family of God. And then 14 says, the word became flesh, and it made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. If I'm being honest, this is where uh, things kind of honestly get really trippy for a first-time reader. You read through this, and, and, and I want you to think about John's audience as he's referring to this message, this word, this logos. And he tells them 
Not only do you have this logos, this word, this message from God, not only do you have this book, right? The existing scriptures at this point that you have been living your life by and you've been using for guidance, but this word actually became flesh. And as it became flesh, it dwelled among us. It lived among us. These first-time listeners have to be full of questions right now. Maybe you're full of questions too. How can the word become alive? How can it dwell among us? How can you tell me that I've seen its glory? The word becomes flesh. You see, what happens here is that which can't be seen but only heard takes human form. And existing out of the Father, he is the epitome of grace and truth. What John is trying to get his readers to understand, what he's trying to get us to understand is that Christ, the Christ, the Son of God, is the Word of God personified. It is the Word of God in a live being. And in him exists the everlasting message of God. You know, as I was studying this week, I came upon a word and I saw it multiple times from multiple biblical teachers, multiple theologians. And they're trying to uh, figure out why does John refer to Jesus as the word? Why does he say, why, why does he talk about how Jesus became flesh, how he was the word that became flesh? What does that mean for us? You see, John saw Jesus as the perfection, the perfection of God. This is a life that perfected everything that God was wanting to teach us. His example, the way that he lived, the way that he loved, the way that he treated others, the way that he got angry was perfectly divine. Everything that God was trying to bring to life through the revelation that we have in Scripture can be seen in the Christ. That's the example that we have to follow. That's the footsteps that we must try to walk in. I want to take you back to Christ's own words in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, where he said to those listening to his teachings, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. You see, Jesus didn't come to change anything that had previously been revealed to Jewish believers or non-Jewish believers, right? He didn't come to adjust He didn't come to revolutionize. He didn't come to do away with. He came to perfect. He came to perfect, to give further meaning, to give further explanation, to show the world exactly what it was that God had as far as expectations for them. And you look at, if you've ever seen the Torah, right? Or you've ever seen an original Hebrew text of the Old Testament. If you open it up, are you going to know what it says? Most likely not without training. But if you look at that scripture, all over it, you see these tiny little dots, right? These jots, these iota, these just little different pieces that have meaning as you're reading. That, that, 
give, provide inflection or just tell you what, what's happening. And Christ is saying, hey, not even one of these little tiny marks. It'd be like us looking at uh, uh, some sort of written piece and there being no periods, right? Christ is saying that even that little period that, that yeah, it tells you something, but also at the same time, you can still read and, and take meaning without it, even with that, not even that's going to disappear. That everything that has already been provided is perfectly divine. It is godly. See, John saw God as the epitome of godliness. Not just did he exist with God in the beginning. Not just was he raised in God's presence. But he is identical to the character of God. He is identical to the character of God. To me, this signifies that scripture, as it is written, can and should be trusted. Scripture, as it is written, can and should be trusted as reliable. As reliable. It is trustworthy. And here's the thing, every statement previously made this morning about the word Christ, right? The word Christ could be said the same about the word scripture. Scripture drives out the darkness, right? Scripture brings light. Scripture is eternal. Scripture gives life. Every time I open the word of God, I learn something. And I'm not going to lie to you. At times, it astounds me. There are still parts of the Bible that I would assume that I haven't touched, right? I've done the reading through the Bible in the year plans, and I'm not against those. I think that's great. You've heard me in the past say the more God you get inside, the less of the other stuff is there, right? There's less room for sinful things. But eventually in those plans, at times you get to where you're just kind of reading sometimes, right? We've all been there, where you're reading and maybe you're not soaking in so much. And so there are parts of scripture that, that I know I haven't poured over, parts of scripture that I haven't broken down and really studied, but John 1 is not one of those pieces of scripture. John 1 is not one of those pieces. I have studied it a lot. I have preached from it. A lot. I have heard other people speak on it a lot. And yet still, Scripture reveals God to me. The Word can be trusted. And then I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, where we're told that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The most important word in those two verses, in my opinion, is all. Is all. We live in a day and age that tells us that as Christians... We shouldn't take Scripture literally. We should glean from it what we can. We should find the positives from it that we can, and we should try to apply those to our lives, but not everything in the book 
is to be taken as if it was written by God because in fact it was written by men, right? And the claim of the church is that these men were divinely inspired. It's a claim that I support. That God breathed into them the words that they should write on the page. But unfortunately, sometimes those words that are written on the page speak against us. They speak against the way we live our lives. They speak against our own selfishness and sinful desires. They speak against the way that we wish things were. Sometimes scripture says that things that I think should be okay are not okay. So what do I do? Do I throw those pieces of scripture away? Do I ignore them? Do I say, I'm good with this stuff, but here's the things I'm not completely okay with, and so I'll just pretend it doesn't exist. I'll put God in this box where he is just loving or where he wouldn't want to condemn anybody because I've seen scripture say that, but I'm going to forget about the pieces where God held folks accountable. I'm going to pretend those parts don't exist because they make me uncomfortable. Or maybe none of these things say anything bad about me, but they speak against my loved ones and I just love them more than I'm willing to bend to Scripture. But all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. I'm going to read it again. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you've heard nothing else, if you're falling asleep, if you've heard sermons from John 1 a million times and it's chilly in here and you stayed up late watching your shows or playing video games or whatever else, hear this. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that's either true for you or it's not. That's either true for you or it's not. I think a lot of times in Christianity, we think that there's room for middle ground, and that's just not the case. We're either hot or we're cold. There is no lukewarm. There is no lukewarm. You either believe in what Christ said, that he came to fulfill all that was already provided, or you don't. You either trust in his word or you don't. You may not like it. You may not like it, but scripture says what it says. Scripture says what it says. And you either choose to place your faith and trust in the God that inspired it, or you find excuses for why you shouldn't have to believe it, or why you shouldn't have to listen to it. Scripture is written by men like Moses and David and Abraham and Peter and Paul. And I would caution you today against believing 
new-aged wisdom over that of the men who paved and walked the same roads as Christ. Who has the most accurate version of events? Those that were involved in the events or those that witnessed them, right? We all know that's true. Let's take it away from Scripture for a moment. Who has the most accurate view of events? Either those that were in the event themselves or those that directly witnessed it. The further you get away from the original source, the more things corrupt, the more things change, not even always on purpose, right? But as the story gets told and told and continue to be told, we start to get these little half-truths, important parts of the story that are left out. It's the same with Scripture. We have the original source. And unless you're going to commit to learning Hebrew and Greek, you're going to struggle to read that original source. But we have folks over time that we have trusted, who have interpreted. When it comes down to it, you either believe or you don't. And I would caution you, I would caution you to think that somehow you know better than the men and the women that were closest to the actual events. To think that thousands of years later, you somehow know Christ better than those who lived where he lived and walked where he walked. Or to somehow think that you recognize more clearly Trinity's divine purpose for the word of God than those that wrote it. I'm going to be real honest with you. That's kind of scary. That's kind of scary. It is such a, I'm going to challenge you a little bit, and I'm not mad. Do I have an angry face right now? I smile. Sometimes I just get focused. and I, You know the uh, RBF thing? I'm not going to say what it means, but I have that. So um, I'm not angry. I'm just saying stuff, so I feel like I should smile. I'm going to challenge you a little bit to think, to find yourselves in that camp that says, yeah, I know better than those guys. That's not really who Christ is. That's not really who Christ is. Christ is just this. He's not that. I know scripture says that, but we shouldn't listen to that. To put yourself in that camp, what a misplaced sense of self and lack of humility to think that somehow you equate or know better than God is a terrifying place to find yourself. And I would caution you against trusting those that would say, I know scripture says this, but it's okay that you think the opposite. Because at the end of the day, who knows God better than God? Who knows God better than those that witnessed him in a way that we don't now, who lived and were taught by and were impacted by the Christ.
in a capacity that we just aren't simply because he lived and walked on this earth and that time for him walking on this earth is not now. Even though he is very much alive. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God doesn't still move today. I'm not saying that Christ isn't still alive today. I'm not saying that he cannot depart wisdom on us and that he can't speak directly to us and that scripture can't open itself up and almost audibly at times deliver a message for us. That is why the spirit was given to us as a gift so that we could still feel the very real presence of a very alive God. Yes, that happens, but... Scripture was God's chosen means of revelation. Everything revealed is expressed right there in the Word of God. Scripture is where God is. Scripture is where Christ is. And if you want, to, to witness him, to experience him, you need only open the cover or the app and turn the pages. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, today in this very moment, and I just want to lift everybody up to you that heard this message today, whether online or in person, or whether they're going to hear it today or maybe sometime this week. Lord, I pray that you reveal to them the truth of what was said. God, not, not words that came from me, but facts that we find in Scripture. That Christ came to fulfill the Word of God. Christ came to be the perfect message of a Heavenly Father who loved His people. God, convict us, cement it within us that scripture is true and trustworthy. Give us the courage to be able to change our hearts and change our minds when scripture says something that we think shouldn't be. Help us to approach your word as we approach you with humility and a hunger for learning. Give us that wisdom that only comes from you. God, as we all progress in our lives, as we continue to dive in your word, sometimes passages that we have read numerous times, Lord, I pray that you continue to help us to have ears that are open. May we listen to what it is that you're trying to teach us, what you're trying to tell us. And may we use your word, not as a, a weapon to harm others or hurt others, but to lovingly reveal biblical truth to them. Help us to plant seeds 
to cultivate them, to water them, to watch them grow. Knowing that at the end of the day, it's you who determines the harvest. It's you that determines the outcome. I can stand here today and I can say, honestly, there are parts of scripture I really don't like. There are things that I wish it didn't say. There are beliefs that naturally I've developed over time that I've had to do away with. So I know how difficult that it can be. But I also know, God, that at the end of the day, it has been for my good. And I can say that because of the hope that I have in you and the faith that I have placed in you. So the last thing I ask, God, is that you just remove whatever barrier it is that is in the way for some of us, that's preventing us from experiencing the fullness of God and the fullness of Scripture. As we worship you this morning, God, reveal to us what it is that we need to change. Be present here among us. Leave no doubt in our hearts and our minds when we leave this place that you were here with us because, God, you are here with us. I ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you need prayer today, we're going to have some folks around the room that are willing to pray with you this morning. Joy, could I have you stand up over kind of under the television to the left if you'd like to pray with uh, a lady? I know sometimes that's easier than maybe coming to see me. Go see Joy. She has a heart not only for people but for God, and uh, she would be an excellent choice. I'm going to uh, stand over here to the right, and Chase, I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind to stand kind of in the back. Um, you know, in the past, I've, I've gone back and forth. I've stood in the back hoping that it would encourage more folks to come because there's less pressure than having to walk to the front in front of everybody. I've stood in the front hoping that my presence would put pressure on you uh, in a way that if I stared you in the eyes, um, you would feel uh, the need to, to accept God's call to, to go and pray. But we are a church. I am a pastor that believes in the power of prayer and believes um, very much so that where two or more gather in his name, God is there. And so if there's something that you need prayer about, whatever that may be, come see one of us. Come pray with one of us. Let's take it to God together. And then let's just listen as the week unfolds and see the answer that God has for you. If you want to talk about this God of the Bible, about what it means to really place your faith and your trust in the light of Christ, today is the day to do that. Maybe you've done that years ago and over the past few years you've faced some struggles and things just haven't gone the way that you wanted to and maybe your faith isn't quite where you know it needs to be but you'd like to rededicate yourself to Christ. You'd like to, to stand before the congregation and say, hey, I recognize that I haven't been where I need to be but I want to get there, then come talk to me about that today. Maybe you want to become a member of our church. 
we would love to have you join us and we'll talk about kind of what that looks like as well but right now you have three things come pray if you need to pray okay come pray if you need to pray otherwise stand and worship god who is worthy of that or come talk to me about placing your faith and trust in jesus the other things we can talk about after service and i'll stay as long as you need me to but right now stand worship i'm so glad you're here and i hope you're glad that you're here as well